0: All right, time for Baldry's Beat. Keith Baldry, Legislative Bureau Chief for Global News. Good morning, Keith. Morning, Esme. Okay, yesterday was the ambulance paramedic shakeup. Interesting announcement here from mm-hmm. Adrian Dix bringing in some new people, shaking up the board. They're bringing in Jim Chu, yep. the former Vancouver Police Chief, pretty respected guy to head up the ambulance board. Uh interesting. They've putting some more money on the table to hire 85 mm-hmm. more paramedics and 30 new dispatchers. The ambulance union, and I spoke to the president of the or the paramedics yep. union this morning, seemed to be pretty happy about it. What are your thoughts on it?
1: Yeah, Troy Clifford, the head of the union, says he's cautious, cautiously optimistic with what uh, Dix had to say. So it's a revamping of the management structure. Uh, no one's leaving. So you know this, this demand of the union for Darlene McKinnon, the chief operating officer, to, to be dismissed is not going to happen. Uh, but there is going to be a, re- a restructuring, so there's going to be people uh, in more senior positions. Jim Chu, the chair of this new board or this restructured board that's going to be looking after the situation. Uh, and again, 85 new paramedics. I didn't know this. Uh, yesterday, Dick said since January, they've already hired more than 215 paramedics, brand new ones, which is interesting. The other interesting stuff that came out yesterday, and I did a report on this on Global uh, last night, is I last week I report on the surge of of daily ambulance calls from 1500 to more than 1900 a day, for the first week of July. Now we're down to about 1700 to 1800 a day. But what's driving that is is overdoses uh, between compared to 19, 2019 to now before the pandemic, 28 percent increase in overdose calls, 22 percent, 24 percent increase in uh, heart problems, 14 percent in ob- abdominal pain calls. Wow. 11% in chest pains. Talk to Dix about this. They can't quite put a finger on why there's this big surge in emergency calls uh, that the ambulance service is really tr- desperately trying to keep pace with. And and yesterday's announcement will go uh, a significant way to keep pace, but I'm not sure it's going to be enough to really have a, a huge impact over the course of the summer. If, well, these, if these cases in terms of emergency calls, continue on a daily basis, uh, the, we're still going to have long waits for anyone.
0: Well, I thought what we saw yesterday was an admission that the system uh, is inadequate and mm-hmm. it failed during this heat wave, and it, yeah. it was a change of direction. From, I think, the, the talking point from this government over the last month or so that they've done everything they can. They've increased the spending on, on emergency services. They've hired hundreds of more paramedics. Darlene McKinnon, the woman that you referenced, the head of emergency services, BC, at one point said she thought that the emergency response during the heat wave was a good job. She thought they did a good job. And this is why a lot of people wanted her fired. Dix kind of yesterday came to her defense and and said that there are people who have been unfairly singled out that have worked hard uh, during this crisis. You know, you rarely see heads roll in, in these situations. No. You, you know, how often you see people get fired? They just don't get fired. What they're doing instead of bringing in new people, putting some more resources on the table, but will it be enough? Well, That's it's going to uh,
1: it's, it's have a, uh, an impact, but will it have a, b- a big enough impact to uh, to lessen the number of long waits for ambulance calls? Again, uh, can't quite explain why more and more people see in significant numbers have nothing to do with the ambulance service. They're just phoning 911. more calls. And yeah. it's probably uh, speculation is it's uh, people who may feel some p- certain medical conditions and they're not comfortable or confident in virtual care. Keep in mind in the pandemic... Everybody's been dealing with their doctor. If you fa- have a family doctor, virtually. Now I think people are, are wanting more physical, in-person contact with uh, health care, and that's why we're seeing a surge.
0: Okay, let's play a clip here of Adrian Dix, the health minister, yesterday saying the system needs to do a better job. The events of the last few weeks make it clear that there's more work to be done. That essential partnership, the necessary confidence
2: that when we call 911, help is on the way, has been tested. And now it needs to be strengthened and restored. Let there be no doubt: our emergency health service system must work better for the people who call upon it, and for
1: those who answer the call for help.
0: Okay, I thought that was an admission: they need to do a better job.
1: Oh, I don't see how you can argue that they couldn't do a better job. When you have those those types of uh, stories that we've been showcasing on NW and and Global for some time, long waits unacceptable. The other interesting, a couple other interesting announcements yesterday: Uh, they're now going to be examining the scope of practice for firefighters with an eye to expanding the scope of practice for firefighters. So firefighters are now going to be added uh, more responsibility to be able to respond to uh, situations that paramedics might right now be the ones responsible for responding to. So that's going to be interesting. There'll be recommendations coming in uh, by early September to change that. The other thing is more resources, and and Troy Clifford talked about this, uh, for the mental health situation for paramedics, because a lot of paramedics have had significant uh, mental health issues through this pandemic. They're overworked. They're on the front lines. They're overwhelmed and they need su- support and they're going to get it.
0: Okay. I had a fascinating interview earlier on the show with Ken Boone, who's a rancher, represents the can. largest cattle ranching associate. He's been around a long time and a, a really strong advocate for the cattle ranching sector. And he, he painted a very horrifying picture of the wildfires in the interior and the threat to livestock, animals, ranchers, uh, and, and you know, lives on the line. And he's asking for help. And one of the things he told me was he wants an, uh, an emergency declaration by the province, which the province seems to be resisting at this point. Let me play Mike Farnworth here, the public safety minister, on the pressure to call a state of emergency in B.C. Have a listen.
1: When a provincial state of emergency is is required, uh, that's based on the advice and the expertise of the men and women in the BC Wildfire Service, and I have every confidence uh, that when they uh, say it's time to, to put one in place, we will put one in place. He doesn't
0: need a recommendation from the Wildfire Service though to call a state of emergency. He's the minister. He, yeah,
1: he right? doesn't need one, but he's his view is as his predecessor Todd Stone and others were that they won't act unless there's the advice from the professionals, and so far that advice. Is not there still not entirely clear? I mean, I've been in correspondence with some some people in Kamloops as well uh, of cattlemen really having to euthanize their animals so they don't get burned in these these wildfires that are spreading very and Kamloops Brutal. Is a really bad situation right now uh, as is much of the uh, north of there and the caribou and such. So it's uh, it's likely to dwarf what we saw in 2017 in terms of hectares burned. And, and evacuees, but uh, still not entirely. I talked to farmers about this yesterday. It's still not entirely clear how a state of emergency deals with the cattle situation. Uh, maybe Ken. Well, an-
0: t- well, he told me that if they declared a state of emergency, it would help leverage emergency funding. To, to help these cattle ranchers. I don't ranchers. see any
1: reference to that in the Emergency Act, where the declaration is is laid out. Um, but I, I think the government can always provide funding. I mean yeah. I don't think you need an emergency declaration. You, they can, you can provide funding on all sorts of mechanisms. Yeah. And also, Milibar,
0: Peter Milibar, the Liberal MLA, who has been sort of leading the charge on this for the Liberals, said, yeah. well, he they want a public emergency declared. And he said it would allow a more effective ability to fight fires by having the ability to move across private land to fight fire. Well,
1: there is a provision in the Emergency Act that that would give the minister the power to uh, seize personal property or personal equipment. Uh, So that is in the act. And that's one of the things the Emergency Act does, is it literally allows the province to go in and and grab helicopters and planes from private companies. And it could acquire land as well. So Millibar is right.
0: Okay. Let me ask you about the uh, the pressure to reopen the border and... Whether that be a wise idea, especially with COVID rates in the United States, which are uh, in some oh, cases are, are not good. Now have a listen to this. This is extraordinary. This uh, is scary. Yeah. Okay. This is a guy named Alex Berenson who is speaking at the CPAC conference, which is, which is a very large, uh, conservative, conservative gathering, gathering of, um, of pretty hard, hardcore conservatives in the United States. And every Republican worth the, worth their salt shows up at this thing. And this was the recent CPAC conference in Texas. Now, listen, listen to this panel discussion here when he talks about uh, the pressure to vaccinate people. And then listen to the audience response here. Have a listen.
1: Clearly, they were hoping, the government was hoping, that they could sort of sucker 90% of the population into getting vaccinated. And it, and, and it, and it isn't happening, right? There, there's a... Y- younger people are well aware of what the risks really are, and they're well aware of the side effect profile. Okay,
0: so he says people are not getting suckered to get the vaccine. and this is an applause line at one of the largest uh, conservative gatherings in the United States. So the American, what's going on
1: So the American South and Midwest have very low vaccination rates. I mean it, really you look at the blue states or Democrats, red states are Republicans. The blue states have high vaccination numbers for the most part. Red states have low vaccination numbers. This mirrors the sort of the ignorant Trump anti-science ideology that's taken or hold. it. Is
0: it like an anti-government thing? Like we're not going to be pushed around and the government telling me well, what to Well,
1: it's do. A, a part of that, but it's interesting how it all aligns with the voting patterns in the United States. Uh, the Democrats are getting vaccinated. Republicans are not for the most part. And this is, uh, again, t- in terms of opening up the border, uh, when we do open up the border, it's going to be limited to two doses, people have two doses. So those people down in, in Mississippi, Arkansas, Louisiana, Alabama, they're not coming to Canada anyways. Cause if they're not, they're allowed well,
0: to, well, if they're vaccinated, they can.
1: If they're vaccinated, but they have very low vaccination rates down there. And you've got the Republicans, which is a really torn up party, with the anti-science group leading the charge there.
0: Welcome back to the show. Keith Baldry is my guest. It's Baldry's Beat. Let's go right to your phone calls here. Rob in Chilliwack. Hey, Rob.
3: Hey, I love your show, Mike. I'd like to get my, my opinion out there. I appreciate you taking my call. Sure. Uh, first of all, the, the wildfire situation, the, the NDP government, I, I, what are they waiting for? I mean, I'm sorry. They should call a state of emergency. Those people need help. Uh, and I have heard of people euthanizing animals out there. It's a disaster. And Mr. Trudeau should maybe throw his two bits worth in there and uh, help out that way, too. He's throwing money around like, if they're, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing is, quickly, the ambulance situation, Adrian Dix, yeah. to say, we inherited this. Come on. they've been, I believe it's over four years they've been in. And we have to wait for, what, 750-some people to die, some on their doorstep? Too little, too late. I'm sorry, but this, it's. That's absurd. And the yeah. woman who was running it, honestly, I think she should be let go. You know, someone's got to take responsibility for this. It's it's such a sad situation. Thanks, Very Mike. R-
0: Thanks a lot for the call. Well, yeah, there, there is a bit of political framing on the comments from Dix for sure, because he, he's very careful to always say, "Well, we increase the rate of spending on these services compared to the previous government." Mm-hmm. Well, you know, if you go back in time to when the Liberals in power, the ambulance, the paramedics union was was going after them as well.
1: Oh, the paramedics union had big fights with the Campbell government, and rightly so. I mean, the, the Campbell government did, you know, do significant uh, uh, cuts or uh, changes there that really. I think that it is service to the paramedics unit. Uh, but the NDP really can't. I mean, this thing about inheriting stuff, I mean, it, the longer they're in power, the less you can start hanging your hat on that excuse. It's four years in power. I don't think really the. It doesn't resonate to blame the liberals for things, right? And
0: now. as for the caller's comment about a state of emergency on the wildfires in BC, like, what would be the downside of a state of emergency? Do you think this government maybe does not want to call a state of emergency because it would be bad for tourism?
1: Well, there is that. But I really think there's, there's
0: pressure from the tourism oh, sector. Oh, they don't huge. want to see travel restrictions again.
1: No, but I talked to Mike Farnworth about this yesterday. He says they could enact travel restrictions without a state of emergency if they thought that was required. Uh, but he hasn't ruled out declaring a state of emergency. I get the impression one is going to be declared as we go through the summer. Keep in mind, we're uh, mid-July. In 2017, that's when the fire season began, was mid-July. Yeah. That's when things started to get really And rapid. they called a state of emergency. That's right. So right. we're now two weeks into this, three weeks into this, we're ahead of the game. So we're really just at the beginning. I'd be surprised if, if I'd, I'd be shocked, frankly, if we don't have a state of emergency before we get through this thing.
0: Okay, Ron and Langley. Hi, Ron.
3: Hi, thank you for taking my call. I believe in 2017, uh, the government mandated that uh, forestry companies mobilize people and equipment to fight fires. I, it is my understanding that the government has not done that yet and that equipment is sitting idle and not fighting fires. Is that fact or is that fiction?
1: I'm not entirely sure, but you're right. The, under a state of emergency, the government would have the power to direct uh, individuals or companies to uh, to do certain things or to take their equipment to fight fires. and Notably, That usually involves helicopters, uh, airplanes that can uh, be involved in terms of ferrying uh, firefighters around or if they have the ability to scoop up water. So, uh, again, don't rule that out from happening uh, this summer.
0: Okay, 604-280-9898 is the number. Star 9898 on your cell. Bob in Vancouver. Hey, Bob.
2: Hi, a couple of things here. Number one, AstraZeneca apparently. We have literally truckloads of it. It's got a best-before date coming up pretty soon. Uh, if we're not going to use it, we should make sure some other country gets mm-hmm. the benefit of it.
3: Yeah.
2: Uh, number two, uh, as far as the uh, uh, Keith says, the, uh, the Republicans are in disarray or a torn party. Guess what? They're going to win the House and the Senate in the next election. You hear it? Heard it here first. And. One more thing I'd like to say. I'm not going to blame Horgan, and I'm a B.C. liberal supporter. This has been a bit of a moving target. I think Dix has done a good job, and I think a big part of this that the media doesn't talk about, not enough people mention it every single day of the year. There's about, you correct my number, but I think it's about 35% of the paramedics are not on the job. I don't care how stressful Mm -hmm. it is. Everybody needs to go to work and they're making a game of this and the union head from the paramedics is being disingenuous and dishonest. We've now hired another 85. And all that's going to do is allow the other ones to stay home and end up working okay. three days a week. Okay, right okay. Thank, the
1: thank thank, you for the call. All I, all I mean, going on I, there. Okay, first of all, AstraZeneca, we have about 63,000 doses remaining of AstraZeneca. We're only administering less than 500 doses a day of second doses. The demand for that has completely dropped. Uh, Adrian Dix this week uh, did say that, uh, so the expiry date for those doses is at the end of August. I would think that by mid-August, we're probably going to be shipping 30,000, 35,000 doses to other countries because they're not being used here in terms of the expiry. In terms of Republicans, I actually heard it first on Fox News that they're going to win the <laughs> Senate and the Demo- uh, no, they might. And the House, they may very well do that. Yeah. Uh, and in terms of paramedics uh, staying home, look, they're uh, frontline workers. They have they're worked off their feet. I'm not going to second guess a paramedic for staying home.